Eight things you hardly ever hear in church. One, it's my turn to sit in the front pew. (laughs) Two, I was so enthralled I never noticed that your sermon went on 25 minutes longer than it was meant to. Personally, I find witnessing much more enjoyable than playing tennis or going to the pub. I love songs with actions. Can I come to the front and help to lead them? (laughs) I volunteer to be on the computer projection rotor every week. (laughs) Nothing inspires me and strengthens my commitment like our annual stewardship campaign. I love it when we sing songs we've never heard before. Can I start a new weekly prayer meeting? Right, that's nothing to do with the sermon. (laughs) Today's reading comes towards the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, when Jesus was contemplating going to Jerusalem and all that that would entail leading up to his crucifixion. Jesus needed to get the disciples away from the crowds And away from the religious leaders, wherever he went in Judea or Galilee, he was always followed by masses of people. And the religious leaders were always trying to trip him up with difficult questions. But he needed some time and space to talk to the disciples. So they moved up to the north, out of Galilee, and into the region of Philip the Tetrarch. Oh, please could we have the map up? Thank you very much. It'll come in a minute. So, um, Caesarea Philippi is about 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee, about 120 miles from Jerusalem. And it's really quite an extraordinary place. So, if you. Can we have the other one, please? <laughs> the other one's a bit bigger. Thank you. So, you can't quite see, but. It's about the top town that's labelled on there, with the three mountain names around it. Okay, so it, it's in the the, uh, the area called various things. It's actually called Trachonitis, the the main name for that area, and it's where Philip the Tetrarch was in charge. So this place, Caesarea Philippi, is one of the most pagan places you can find. It had numerous temples of ancient Syrian Baal worship and there was a massive cave in the foothills of the mountains which was thought to be the birthplace of the Greek god Pan who was the god of nature and the town was originally called Panias after him but um, when, when Philip rebuilt there's also this massive great white marble temple to Caesar which was originally built by Herod the Great but Philip his son elaborated it and beautified it and then changed the name of the town from Panias to Caesarea Philippi after himself and Caesar he was obviously a very modest man and inside the um, the cave of Pan there was a, a massive steep cliff and at the bottom of it there was some really really deep water which they said nobody had ever been able to measure the depth of and that was thought to be where the springs of the Jordan were from so it was very significant to Jewish people as well 
So in this enormously religiously significant place, Jesus is thinking towards his crucifixion and he needs to know whether his message has got through, whether the church will ever be able to come into existence without him physically being there. So he confronts the disciples with the question of who he really is. It's almost as if taking them to Caesarea Philippi, he's setting himself against the background of all the world's religions and asking them to compare everything else with him and see who is the real genuine article. So he starts with the wider question, what are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? And you know, people who were comparing him with one of the ancient prophets were actually giving him the highest accolade that they thought they could without the proper one, you know. Because the voice of prophecy had been dead for 400 years. So they thought, no, but God had not spoken to anybody for 400 years. And the fact that they had recognized that Jesus is hearing from God and is able to to convey the word of God to other people is something very significant. But they couldn't actually take that final step of recognizing him as the Messiah. And it's because he wasn't like they were expecting the Messiah to be. He didn't restore the kingdom of David and boot out the Romans. He didn't gather the scattered people of Israel back into one place. He didn't restore all the laws of the old Torah. So they just thought he was a good man, a good teacher. But as C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity, there is absolutely no way that Jesus can have been a good man or a good moral teacher. He claimed to be the son of God. So either he was the son of God, or he was a pathological liar, or he was severely mentally ill with delusions. Now, he didn't behave like someone who was severely mentally ill, and he never lied about anything else. And there is a lot of evidence that he is who he said he was. If we think about the things we were talking about with the children this morning, the amazing things he did when he was on earth, there's all the fulfillment of the ancient prophecies, which all line up with his visit to earth. And then there's all the things that have happened since, the incredible transformation of those fishermen into great apostles and the founders of the church. And there's all the amazing things that the Holy Spirit is continuing to do now, all the things that are happening all over the world. I know the Church of England's um, not at its strongest at the moment, but in other places the church is growing massively and they're seeing miracles happening all the time. So Jesus turns the question into an individual and personal one. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter's answer, you are the Christ or the Messiah, it's the same word, the son of the living God. That must have been quite a relief for Jesus. Someone has finally got it. So there is potential for the new church to begin. Peter was the first stone in the building of the new church. And there's a pun on Peter's name. Peter's name is, Pe- is Petra. No, other way around. Peter's name is Petros in Greek, and a stone is Petra. So Jesus is, I don't know if he's cracking a joke, I doubt it. Well, he might be. But he's, he's aligning Peter with the word for stone. 
But we mustn't get confused about this because Jesus is not talking about church buildings. He's talking about the people being the church. And Peter is the first one, the founder member. In 1 Peter 2 verse 5, Peter continues with this metaphor of buildings and stones. When he says, you, that's all of us, are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God. So we need to think about what our reading today means for us and what we can learn from it. The first question would have to be, what about us? What about you? Who do you think Jesus is? And then the second question would have to be, what are you doing with that information? You know, it is possible to know all about Jesus And in fact, to know all the theology that there is and still not have a personal relationship with him. People can be brought up by Christian parents and go to church all their lives without actually making that individual decision that Jesus is God and they will become a Christian and accept his authority and follow him. During Jesus' trial... When Pilate asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews, which is John 18.33, Jesus said, Is this your own idea, or is this what others have told you about me? And that's actually a really important question. Because you can't be a Christian second-hand. You have to make your own decision. We need to be clear about what a decision to follow Jesus actually means, because apart from anything else, we need to be able to explain it to our friends and neighbours. It's like this. Because we, as, as in the whole of humanity, have chosen to live for ourselves instead of living for God, as we were designed to do, there's a blockage between people and God. And anything that we do that, we, that offends God adds into that blockage. It's often referred to as sin. However, Almighty God, the God and creator of the whole universe, has shown us that he loves us so much, he was prepared to die for us in order to make a way for that blockage to be removed so that we can be in relationship with him now and can live with him forever in the future. We all, at some time, need to make a decision whether or not to accept his offer of eternal life and to allow him into our lives and to commit ourselves to love and serve him forever. So the decision that I'm wittering about is quite simply this. Are we, or are we not, going to let him into our lives as Lord and to commit to serving him? It involves turning away from our previous way of life where we're in charge of ourselves and allowing Jesus to be Lord of all of our lives. So we need to think about how this works out in real life. Sometimes in the communion service, we hear that Jesus said that the first commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
mind, soul and strength. In other words, to love and serve God with all that we are and all that we have. And the second is to love our neighbours as ourselves. In Matthew 16:24, which is just a few verses on from today's reading, Jesus says, If anyone wants to follow me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And in the equivalent passage in Luke's gospel, which is Luke 9:23, it actually says, take up your, your cross daily. Taking up your cross suggests an element of sacrifice, doesn't it? So we'd be making a decision to put serving God ahead of pleasing ourselves and making ourselves comfortable. This includes letting God be in charge of the way we spend our time and our resources. But this isn't a sacrifice that makes you miserable. It's a case of joyful obedience and a sense of purpose in serving God and other people. Jesus goes on to say in verse 25 of Matthew 16, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And losing your life doesn't only mean dying or being martyred. It also means laying down your life in sacrificial service to God and other people. As a result, we will find real life, or life in all its fullness, as Jesus calls it in John 10, verse 10. Christians are people who follow Jesus. We're learning to be like him and trying to be obedient to him in thoughts and words and actions. It's called discipleship, and it's a journey We learn how to follow him as we go along, and hopefully we become more and more like him. We need help with this, though. So so now Jesus has gone back to heaven. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to remember what he said when he was here, and to help us to hear what he's saying now. Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? If we believe that he's who he says he is, i.e. the son of God, or the human manifestation of God, we should do something about it. Because his next question is, will you come and follow me? So how should we respond to this? For many of us, it's old news. We've been following Jesus for ages. And yet, it's always good to have a review and to look again at whether we've actually allowed God to be Lord of all of our lives, or whether there are some areas of our lives, or our time, or our activities, or our habits, or our wallets, that he's not yet in charge of. Jesus wants to be Lord of all of it. He wants us to be fully committed to him. Some people may be a little bit uncertain of whether they've actually made a decision to follow Jesus or not. And some people will be well aware that they haven't. In which case, there's no time like the present. So we're going to have a minute of silence 
so that we can ask God to show us whether there are areas in our lives that we haven't handed over to him and that we need to or whether we would like to make the decision to follow him for the first time. So we'll have a minute's silence and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to read you the prayer so that you know what it is and then you can decide whether you want to pray it with me. It's suitable for recommitting or for committing for the first time to Jesus. Father God, I recognize that Jesus came to earth as God's son and suffered a horrible death for me. Thank you that you have dealt with sin and all the wrong things I have done can be forgiven when I confess them to you. I am sorry for the things I have done which have offended you. I want to invite you into my life to be the Lord of all of me and all I have. I want to live for you and serve you and follow Jesus. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit to help me be more like Jesus. Now I'm going to read it one line at a time so that you can echo it silently in your heart if you want to. Father God, I recognize that Jesus came to earth as God's son and suffered a horrible death for me. Thank you that you have dealt with sin and all the wrong things I have done can be forgiven when I confess them to you. I am sorry for the things I have done which have offended you. I want to invite you into my life to be the Lord of all of me and all I have. I want to live for you and serve you and follow Jesus. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit to help me to be more like Jesus. Amen.